this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath in august this year the government withdrew the draft data protection bill 2021 saying it would come up with a comprehensive legal framework in a new draft now the new draft the fourth overall is out titled the digital personal data protection bill 2022 the draft bill is open for public comments and is expected to be introduced in parliament in the budget session of 2023 so how different is the latest version from the earlier drafts does it do a better job of safeguarding the rights of users or data principles as they are called in legal parlance in the first part of this two part deep dive podcast we take a detailed look at how well the bill safeguards the rights of individual users to help us understand the issues around this question we have with us alok prasanna from the vidhi center for legal policy alok thank you so much for joining us my pleasure sampath it's always a pleasure to be on this podcast alok to start with uh, a, a basic question this is the fourth version of the draft why so many drafts uh, of this bill do you see any pattern with these drafts as in like each subsequent version of the bill is it getting progressively better in terms of what it proclaims to do that is data protection creating multiple drafts per se is not a problem i think uh, even if you look through uh, the two and a half years that it took to or three years almost it took to draft the constitution of india it went through multiple iterations and uh, even then in the end a lot of people were unhappy with it it is part of the process you are going to have a vigorous back and forth and let me go back to why this is so because you're not just talking about something which will affect maybe 5 or 10 or 20% of the population or a particular business sector this affects every single one of us it affects government business and individuals and you're talking about how do we carefully balance the rights of individuals Uh, with the powers of the government and the necessity of undertaking business so it is always going to be some uh, way of trying to balance all three that's it and maybe there's a little bit of a conflict of interest here since vidhi has sort of worked with the bn shri krishna committee i think the first draft was perhaps the most comprehensive which tried to strike the best balance i would still say that uh, the other two drafts the one which produced by the meti itself which came in 2019 and then what i like to call the jpc draft was proposed by the joint parliamentary committee i think they kind of pushed it a little closer towards government i sort of, i think they sort of wanted to uh, give the government a little bit more of a uh, leeway in data protection they wanted to sort of uh, allow government to give wider exemptions to itself uh, but i'll be very honest and say that the current draft is a huge step backwards um, it's a huge step backwards because each of the three previous versions were fairly well thought out i mean you can disagree i'm not to say that everything in those drafts are absolutely perfect and there was no basis for anyone to disagree with anything they they came from a certain point of view if you if you want to understand why certain clauses were there in the jpc version you looked at the uh, report of the jpc you want to understand what was there in the bn shri krishna committee report you looked at various provisions uh, of the report of the, the draft itself so unfortunately we don't get any of that here because you're not just talking this 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 is the point that i want to make you're not just talking about an improvement or mild change you've basically wiped the slate clean and started afresh 
and that is incumbent on the government to sort of give us good justification for this what was it that was so fundamentally unacceptable about the three previous drafts that you had to junk all of it all the work that went into it and produce a new draft which i'm sorry to say is terrible the initial version which they uploaded on the website was full of uh, bad formatting errors and typos and i think they've uploaded a slightly better version but it doesn't really look or feel like a law in that sense okay you're saying that uh, the, the initial version i mean was something which had a kind of a balance between the rights of the users and of course uh, the interests of the state and the commercial interests and so on and this one is a huge step backward and of course that's a bit uh, of a downer given that the government had promised it is going to come up with a comprehensive legal framework to use its words but we'll come back to that in a bit uh, now when we say when you say it's a huge step backward i just want you to sort of explain uh, with regard to certain broad principles that everyone across the world agrees uh, is to do with data protection in terms of uh, the legal framework one is of course collection limitation then you have a purpose limitation and storage limitation so to speak so can you explain what these actually mean and how does the 2022 draft stands on these three aspects sure so collection limitation basically refers to what kind of data is collected i can't give i mean it's it's not that you can just take consent and take everything of uh, every single bit of my data that you want right it is about sort of saying you'll only collect the data that you will need uh then you have of course a uh, uh, purpose limitation which is you will only use the data for the purpose for which you say that you want to use right then of course uh, there is the point of like storage limitation you will only keep it for as long as you really need to keep it uh that's that it's as simple as that i have tried to explain it as simple as that unfortunately while the law says these words right it does not actually it kind of undermines itself in a lot of ways just to give you one example like let me point out to deemed consent right you know you have deemed consent which not to say that it's fundamentally problematic i'm not going that far uh, there is in fact even the supreme court's judgment in the putoswami case understands that there are use cases for data which may be beneficial for which you don't need to necessarily take consent can you give an example of deemed consent alok for the benefit of our listeners for example uh, let's again uh, the example given in the law is not particularly helpful because it says digital data protection it instantly goes and gives like a uh, example of where you write in name and uh, in pen and paper let's say for instance that data has been collected from me with respect to um, old age pension right government sort of wants to uh, know uh, what is my age uh, what is my location what is my name uh, and so on and so forth so they've collected this data now they can use that data to say provide like a a healthcare scheme right supposing you want to provide like a healthcare scheme for individuals above the age of 70 where it's entirely free but you need to know who will be the beneficiaries of this so you'll take my age data you'll take my name you'll take my location and say okay alok prasanna kumar okay i'm not 75 for listeners <laughs> will be uh, because you have the data you will process it to say, be able to say okay alok prasanna kumar is eligible for this you don't have to separately apply we've deemed you eligible for this so therefore you'll get this benefit when you go to the nearest hospital so this is something which is in your benefit you're processing it you've started a new scheme you've processed it you've processed this data which is already there with you and as the government and you're giving me a benefit on that basis right we also have say for instance issues of national security right which the supreme court has said you don't necessarily need to take data like if you want to sort of know the exact location based on 
mobile tower pings, uh, you don't need to take the consent of the person in question. You're processing the data to find out where all they have been. So to that extent, there are certain kinds of processing of data which doesn't necessarily need consent. Unfortunately, this I've only given points of deemed consent from the government point of view. Now, this frames it so widely that it seems practically anything can be included in this. And this is a problem from a drafting of law perspective. Look, as a matter of principle, it's possible to say, yeah, that's good. That should be there in the judgment. But a law is supposed to guide our individual actions, whether as a person, whether as the government or whether as a corporation. I am supposed to have clarity that if I do this, this is the consequence. Let's take a very big step back. Why is it that we need a data protection law? It's not as if the world is coming to a halt in the absence of this law or there's large outbreaks of disorder in the absence of this law. We need this law because every day, even as you and I sit and speak on this, somebody is collecting our data. Somebody is using that data. We have no clue. All right. Between you and me, we have no clue. If you have a smartphone, the amounts of data that has been collected about you, I don't think we can even imagine how much data has been collected. And that suits businesses perfectly fine. It's just that we are the ones who have become the product in this economy. I, I know a lot of people sort of criticize the data protection laws about how much leeway it gives the government. It doesn't stop government surveillance. Those are valid points. But let's be quite clear here what the data protection law is actually trying to do. It is sort of trying to give you as a citizen rights against certain companies which are already taking your data and doing stuff with it. So today at a 24 hour basis, the government probably doesn't know where I am. Okay, it knows my address. It may know where my office is. It doesn't know what time I go to my office and come back and what I do there. But any smart device that you have, whether it's your watch or your phone, knows literally second by second, minute by minute where you are. And we don't know what's happening to that data. You and I, we don't have, we, we have these terms and conditions which none of us can read through or make sense of. We don't know where this data is going, where it's being stored, what it's being used for. Is it being used to harm us, give us better services? There is a lot of lack of clarity there. And the purpose of data protection law is to allow us to be able to take back some us, and I mean us, I mean data principles, us, citizens to be able to take claw back some power from corporations which are the ones which are collecting all this data and when you make it so broad and when you make it so wide that it's up for interpretation i'll never be able to challenge the uh, company on a one-to-one -one basis that's the fundamental problem with this law it's a nice set of principles it's not law Right. So, I mean, thank you for uh, sort of explaining the actual use or purpose and the need for such a law. I mean, people have been talking about how this law uh, doesn't really do the job when it comes to giving protection to citizens from surveillance. But the point you just made about how we actually don't know and we don't even know that we are supposed to know, you know, it's, it's actually a basic right when something which belongs to you is taken by corporations or companies and then they do a lot of things with it which may be right which may be wrong which may be necessary not necessary but at least you have a right to know where it is going what is going and who is doing what with it and we don't know that and the data protection law is supposed to do a basic kind of an entitlement for enforcement in this regard 
Uh, that's a very important point. Now, going back to the other point you mentioned about uh, surveillance and state exemptions, can you talk a little bit about that as well? Because that's been one of the biggest complaints with the late, it was a problem with the earlier versions as well. But this version also, I think, gives blanket exemptions uh, to the state without any adequate caveats or safeguards from the key provisions of the bill. So, what are, what are these blanket provisions, uh, blanket exemptions that the state is getting uh, from the provisions of the bill? Is it like the bill that the, the provisions of the bill don't apply at all if the state so deems that it is uh, not required to apply? Yeah, um, that's exactly what it is. You have clause 18 and I'll read out clause 18 so that nobody should think I'm paraphrasing. The central government may by notification exempt from the application of the provisions of this act, the processing of personal data by any instrumentality of the state in the interest of sovereign integrity, security of the state, friendly relations, maintenance of public order, or preventing incitement to any cognizable offense. B. Necessary for research, archiving, or statistical purposes if the personal data is not to be used to take any decision specific to a data principle and such processing is carried out in accordance with standards specified by the board. Right, And this is one of uh, sort of uh, four uh, exemption clauses in uh, Clause 18. Uh, you also have uh, like, you know, the general obligations of a data fiduciary that you should not retain and personal, uh, any personal data and you should delete it in time. Even that will not apply. I mean, that is the blanket exemption which is given, right? The retention of data, which we sort of talked about, that will not apply in respect of processing by the state or any instrumentality of the state. And it also allows the government to sort of give these exemptions to uh, certain kinds of exemptions to private entities and we'll come to that later. Uh, but let's just take a step back, which is that constitutionally, you have a right of privacy against both the state and against private parties. Now, there are certain grounds on which the government may intrude upon your right to privacy and that's fair, which obviously private parties cannot. Private parties cannot obviously claim uh, social welfare. Private parties cannot obviously claim national security. These are grounds available only to government. But even these need to be kind of proportionate to the purpose. They need to be kind of, uh, you know, uh, necessary for what the government is trying to do. And the idea is that there should be some link between what the government is taking your data, using it for, and to what kind of uh, purpose it is eventually, uh, how much of it it is collecting and how much it is essentially putting it to use for. This kind of blanket exemption to me raises two concerns. Number one is constitutional. Will this meet this test and the standards in the Puttaswami case, which is the nine judge bench, and even to a lesser extent, perhaps the Aadhaar judgment, which upheld large parts of the other, but did strike down some parts of the law. That's number one. Number two, this is a rule of law issue. At the end of the day, if you have a right against the government, the government should not be able to say, we will decide at what point you will have this right or not have this right. It's, 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 it's a bit ridiculous. Imagine a clause like this is in the Indian Penal Code, right? The Indian Penal Code is supposed to protect our right to life and limb and property. Imagine if the Indian Penal Code had a clause which said the government may exempt the application of certain sections of the Indian Penal Code to various officers of the government as and when it feels like. And we know there is a law which does that. And it's called the AFSPA. It's supposed to be a law which is used in such extreme situations, in such extreme conditions. And even then it has serious, it raises serious questions of rule of law. Here, this has become the norm. Here is a law which says the norm will be, we will decide where it will apply, when it will apply, to whom, to what extent and how. And that defeats the purpose of having the law. If all of this is going to be that the government is going to eventually decide which parts will apply to whom, where and what, 
Like you're not creating a legal regime. You're just creating like a gigantic Swiss cheese of regulations where there are large holes. There's less cheese and more hole, so to speak, uh, where we don't know who this will apply to, to what extent, what will happen to your data and so on. So that's a, those are those, these are two very serious concerns about the way in which this exemption clause has actually been drafted. So would it be fair to say that this this bill is like the AFSPA of data privacy? <laughs> it, it, it seems like it. At least, if this particular clause is to be believed, it seems like it, it's it's not even an, it's not even an exceptional situation, right? In law, we acknowledge the existence of exceptions. Nobody denies that they are. But if the exception becomes the norm, then that is the law itself, and that is like it, it, it is basically to effectively to say this this clause effectively says, by the way, you don't have any rights over data. Uh, we will decide to what extent that you have. And that's not a right. That ceases to be a right. A right is something that is guaranteed to you by law and applicable to a lot of people. But if that right itself is going to be determined by the government to say, yeah, you have this right now for this purpose and to this extent. Again, not by the legislature. Let's make this clear distinction. The legislature grants you rights. But if the government is the one which is saying whether you have these rights or not at all, you don't have a right. That's not a right. It's just a privilege at the at the. Uh, uh, at the minimum, they're just basically saying, yeah, you have this privilege to have your data protected at some points of time against certain certain individuals in some context, but don't call it a right. I think that that is to meet the true effect of something like Clause 18, which allows for these kinds, which gives the government the power to have uh, these kinds of exemptions. I wouldn't have even minded if this law and previous versions of the law have said this, right? State security agencies will not be, these law will not be applied. That gives me certain clarity. That tells me that, yes, as far as other instrumentalities of the state, I will have these data protection rights. And that was slowly expanded. Now it's gone to the situation where basically it can exempt any part of this law for, for any agency, for whatever, uh, for a bunch of these vague, wide purposes. And uh, good luck finding out what's happening to your data. Right. Okay, you spoke about the exemptions to uh, various arms of the government from the provisions of the bill. But there is this clause. 18 subsection 3 of the bill which seems to empower the government to exempt even private companies from the provisions of the bill based on certain uh, very strange criteria volume of data i mean it means the more data you collect the more likely you have to be exempted from having to keep to the provisions of the law and that too if you're a private company how does this work this i mean this is this is what is kind of uh, puzzling because it's not first of all let's be clear it's not an automatic exemption uh, it is that the government may certain uh, may given the volume we don't know how much volume we don't know the nature of personal data we don't know how which kinds of data fiduciaries whether they'll be Indian or whether they'll be foreign and not even just a class of data fiduciaries it could even be certain data fiduciaries they could identify certain companies and it refers to one, uh, five particular uh, provisions of the act now what are these provisions of the act these are the duties of data fiduciaries right and the fact is that if you what what duties remain like these duties are important because going back jurisprudentially every right has a correlative duty right and when you're imposing certain duties i have a right to make you carry out that duty under law and if you violate that duty you can be penalized under that law and the purpose of uh, listing out these uh, duties regarding notice I mean, there may be pragmatic concerns. I don't dispute that. Like maybe if somebody has 1 billion users and you want to sort of maybe say, give them some leeway on how you will communicate notice to 1 billion users. Or if you sort of want to say that, look, we can't actually delete so much of this data because 
it will effectively mean it'll end up deleting a lot of other people's data also because of the volume and the kind of like for instance data related to whether you are related to someone or other uh, like a family data we can't exactly delete it because it will also mean that the whole data structure will kind of collapse so things like that uh, and retention of data right uh, how how long we are allowed to keep see all of these if there are pragmatic concerns those should be kind of spelled out kind of clearly here instead a very blanket provision is there which gives the central government power to exempt any data fiduciary or class of data fiduciaries and this again raises the kinds of concern again constitutional concerns about what is the basis on which you're going to select data fiduciaries uh, how are we going to even judge it? and of course individual exercise of this power may be challenged in court may be questioned in court and so on and so forth but the fact that you're giving yourself this power this kind of fairly wide and blanket power to create an exception makes you question what is the rule what is the exception to go back to the point which i made in the previous situation the moment you give yourself the entire and this 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 is coming from a noted constitutional theorist extremely controversial person called karl schmidt whose work kind of influenced the nazis afterwards but he made this brilliant point that the person who basically decides the exception decides what's the rule again in constitutional law and in law in general and if the central government is basically going to decide this is uh, when the law will apply whether it is to private parties or whether it is to government central government is now basically deciding whether we have a right to privacy or not it's not this law this law is not giving us the right to privacy or the right to against uh, data fiduciaries to protect our own data this law is effectively empowering the government to say this is how much right you will have this is how much right you will not have right i think that's a very uh, sort of a very very clear way of understanding what this law is all about i mean you're essentially saying it is not this law which is deciding what your rights are under this law but it is a central government so it's basically it's like a rule by fiat you know tomorrow the central government decides x then this law doesn't really matter x is the law right so and 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 also this is very important in the context of the fact that the central government or the state is the biggest data fiduciary isn't that right i mean is that the case uh biggest will be a little tough to answer okay one of the biggest at least considering you know the, the number of interfaces citizens have with the with the government it depends and i say it depends because let's say someone like you and me who don't necessarily depend on the union government or the state government or local government for a lot of services for a lot of benefits for a lot of basic things my interaction with government and to speak of myself is kind of limited right except professionally when we engage with government i if i were a regular practicing lawyer my interface with government for something that i need personally would be limited there would be a lot of citizens for whom this is needed but it's possible but i don't know if we can say they are the biggest data fiduciaries they are one of the biggest i don't dispute that you know not 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 vis-a-vis individuals not they may not be the biggest data fiduciary vis-a-vis alok or sampath in terms of owning our but if you, in terms of the total volume of data collectively uh, sort of acquired and processed among all citizens all the users i'm just saying sheer volume yeah even in terms of sheer volume i'm not so sure because to go back to the earlier point that i made anyone who has a smartphone in india you are basically your every second of your your use of the phone including your steps including your movement uh, is being tracked if you are wearing a digital tracking device that is also being tracked that is that is also data which is being collected uh, every time like you are sort of uh, sending an email or sending a message or sending a whatsapp message so your data is sort of being tracked so 
I am not sure, and I'm, uh, if if we can say that governments are governments are among the biggest, I don't dispute that. But the biggest, I am not so sure because look at also the frequency of the data collection, right? Um, government doesn't have direct access to Google Maps. Government doesn't have direct access to Gmail. Government doesn't have direct access to our Facebook or our Twitter or whatever else it is. And these are collecting, including down to the level of which tweets you saw on your tweet timeline. If we have to sort of look at Twitter, so. I, I wouldn't say government is the biggest. It might be one of the biggest. It might have tons and tons of data, the Indian government at least. But there is also a certain level of siloing in that data. A lot of services are delivered through the state government. So, for instance, with the Aadhaar data, the Aadhaar itself does not have, beyond the fields that are there on your Aadhaar card and beyond who has authenticated your Aadhaar number at what point of time, the UIDAI itself may not have specific details about your income. Somebody in government probably has, right? And these are all sitting in various silos. Maybe they're trying to figure out ways to put this together. But a data sitting in silos is not powerful. It is when, to give you a crude example, if it is when Amazon knows every single one of your major purchases, when it is able to scoop up data from Google, scoop up data from other social media, fully understands that, for instance, Alok is a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, so therefore I should try and push Lord of the Rings products onto him. I am a fan of huge, uh, I'm a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings, by the way. Uh, that is kind of what gives that data power. Data is not powerful if it is just sitting in a bunch of silos. It's only when you link it together and you're able to find out the full profile of the individual and know everything about the individual. That is what gives data the power. And data is one of those rare, quote-unquote, resources where the more you have of it, the more valuable it becomes. Right. Thank you for listening. This concludes the first episode of this two-part podcast. Please do join us tomorrow for part two, where we will take a close look at the structure and independence of the Data Protection Board of India as envisaged in this bill, the role of consent managers and protections from surveillance among other issues. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.